Um, I know if you weren't here last week, they made the announcement that uh, my wife and I had been voted by the board uh, to be the candidates for potentially being the next lead pastors. And so, awesome, thank you. One guy, yeah, my guy. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, and um, let me just, just for a moment uh, thank our leadership council for doing their due diligence and I understand and I'm well aware that I didn't earn anything, that nothing is just given to anyone, that this is only if it's the will of the Lord. And so we respect that and we honor that and we're grateful for that opportunity to serve. Um, and I, I mentioned it to a friend of mine. He's like, oh, you're getting demoted? I was like, pretty much. Um, but we are so grateful for whatever God has for us and what he plans to do because we trust in the Lord and we trust what God is going to do. And I was thinking about just reflecting on, on all that because the reality is if, if that does happen, then uh, I will have to step away from the ministry that I've been a part of solely for the last 13 years, uh, which is our Excel Youth Ministry. And I thought about, man, I came here to this church about 22 years ago as a teenager. I was 15 when I walked through these doors. And I remember just sitting there, and we weren't like a great youth ministry at the time. We were good, like the spirit of God was there. I'm just saying from a practical standpoint, like we still had the little slide projector thing, and I think the walls were yellow, and the worship team was meh. Sorry if you were on the worship team. I'm pretty sure Pastor Jason was on the youth worship team at that time, but he was, he was a gold star. Um, but the spirit of God was in this room, and I just remember thinking, wow, I sense God's presence here. And what I love about this church and church in general is I've always said that church is a place where friends become family. And honestly, this has become my family. This is literally where I found my wife, where I met my wife and we dated and obviously got married. Uh, this is where I've met some of my closest friends, some of the people that I love most in this world. This is where some of the most pivotal moments of my spiritual life has occurred. This has such a huge impact on me and uh, it's, it's just such a powerful aspect as a family. And I was thinking about the idea of family and when you're a kid, family's one thing, and as you get older, the idea of family begins to change a little bit. When you're a kid, you don't even think about it. You just do whatever you want to do, and everything is given to you, and everything is done for you. You don't pay bills. You don't cook meals. You don't, you're just like, feed me. I'm amazed at my daughter, my two-year-old, the audacity she has of like just throwing everything off her tray when she doesn't want to eat it anymore. Like she's some villain in a movie. Like you ever seen like those lawyers that get mad and just throw everything off their desk? She just has these like things. I'm like... You don't even pay rent. Like, I don't know why you got an attitude. Like, just eat what I gave you. And, and it's, that's how it is when you're a kid because as you get older, you gain responsibilities. You know, you have to pay bills. You have to do stuff. You have to now contribute and you have to hand off to the next generation or to your children. And I really do believe this, one of the greatest things about our church is the heart for the next generation. You know, within the Assemblies of God, at least on, on the north side of Chicago in our section, there's only two youth ministries in the entire city ours and another one. It's just people don't put, make it a priority. People don't make a priority to invest in youth and children and the next generation. And honestly, if you, if you poll some, some people, honestly, they'll tell you, well, youth don't pay bills. No, they, they may not pay bills, but they will if, <laughs> at some point. And they will be the life of your church if you invest in them. And so my hope and my prayer is no matter what God does, that we never stop investing in the next generation. 
And so as I was thinking about that, there was a word that the Lord put on my heart some time ago, and I, I really believe the next opportunity pastor gives me to speak on a Sunday, I'm gonna give this word. And again, I'll be honest with you, I was second guessing myself leading up to this Sunday because I'm like, this ain't like a dynamic at the altar crying, balls, balls out, you know, kind of sermon. This is kind of a, ooh, that, 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 I, that hurts, that's not, that's not comfortable. And the reality is, I might get you know, more applause and more favor if I do one of those other kind of sermons, or I can just be honest to what God called me to do. So let's, let's choose God, right? And so I say all that because if you're uncomfortable, that's God's fault, not my fault. That's between you and the Lord. Because I, I was reading in Psalms, if you have your Bibles, look at Psalm chapter 78. And there's a very powerful word in regard to the next generation. It's, it's a warning, it's an uh, encouragement, it's a proclamation to you and I as the church on how we are to act. And I want you to notice in Psalm 78, I'm gonna read verses one through eight, and then I wanna take some time to unpack the problem, recognize the solution, and then see what the results of all that is gonna be. So if you have your Bibles, Psalm 78, verse one through eight, listen to what the word of the Lord says. It says, oh my people, Listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I am saying, for I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past, stories we have heard and known, stories our ancestors handed down to us. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. For he issued his laws to Jacob. He gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children so the next generation might know them. Even the children not yet born and they in turn will teach their own children so each generation should set its hope anew on God not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands then they will not be like their ancestors stubborn rebellious and unfaithful refusing to give their hearts to God powerful word. I remember the first time I, I read that passage, literally just felt like all the lights just shined on that portion of my Bible. It was so impactful. Again, in highlight because of what I do and what I've been doing for the last several years, this is such a powerful statement of what you and I as the church are called to do. You and I as the church are not called to simply raise ourselves up and forget about those behind us. We have to understand that there is a long chain of believers stranded all all the way back to the beginning and we are a link in that chain and we can't afford to break that link for anybody. We have to continue. Should the Lord tarry, this has to be able to be passed on to our children, to their children and the children yet to come. Powerful, powerful word. But I love that the psalmist brings up, there's a problem going on. There's a reason he's addressing this. And if you have notes, you might want to write this down. The problem is we have hidden God. We have hidden God, right? Notice the psalmist says, I will teach you hidden lessons from our past. Well, why are they hidden? Why aren't these lessons that are known? Why aren't these lessons that are understandable and that everybody has already had in mind? He makes a point of saying, we will not hide these truths. In other words, the previous past hid the truth. We're not gonna make the same mistake. And I think we've seen that in other aspects, right? There are generations of stuff that just, we didn't talk about it. 
You didn't, you didn't talk about that with your children. And so now more and more, this generation is saying, talk to me about these things. Tell me about you know, what healthy sex life looks like. Tell me about your testimony and what you've gone through and, and what you've experienced. Tell me about the abuse you've had to endure. And, and a lot of times in an effort to try to maybe protect the next generation, we really hurt them by not exposing them to the things that God has done, not just the things the enemy has done to us. And so I love that he's saying this. Hey, listen, we have hidden the truth and the truth isn't always pretty. The truth isn't always comfortable, but the truth is always the truth. And I'm amazed as I've gotten older, I hear more and more stories. As I became an adult and I could sit down with my mom and dad, I start to hear things that I didn't know before. I was talking to my brother Raul uh, just before the service and we found out that we're both from the same town in Puerto Rico. And I was like, oh snap, because there's like a 97% chance now that we're related in Puerto Rico ain't that big. So I'm like, oh snap, you know, we're talking. And I'm, and I'm telling man, my family goes back generations. My great, great grandfather owned land in Puerto Rico. And I remember as an adult, I was talking to my dad, y'all have those dads that know everybody's genealogy, like they could trace it back to like 1770 whatever, my dad's like that and so we were talking about like my great great grandfather and how he owned that land and he just happened to mention his slaves and I was like, whoa, back to truck we had what? Great grandpa had slaves? He's like, yeah and I felt weirdly uncomfortable for a second I was like, were we from the slave side of the family or the owner's side of the family? He's like, oh, the owners, we have the last name. I was like, I don't know if we should be proud of that, Pop. Like, I felt weirdly convicted, but it was so weird. Like, why am I this old and just now hearing this story? Like, this, you know, and then I heard stories of like my mother's side of the family and my great aunt who was kidnapped by revolutionaries and, and taken away to be just basically, you know, a worker for them and how she, she hid in the mountains and escaped from them. I'm like, mom, that is an amazing story. How come you never told me that? She's like, man, I never thought about it. I'm like, wait, my great-great-grandfather was rich? He owned half the town. Really? Yeah, he was a horrible human being. Like bad guys in movies? He's like, yeah, pretty much. Again, why have you never told me these stories? And that's just family stories. But when we hide the things that God has done, we really hurt the next generation. Church, let me ask you this. When was the last time you sat your children down and shared your full testimony of how you came to saving grace of Jesus Christ? Not just, hey, one day I went to church and the pastor preached a good message and I said yes. When was the last time you told them, this is what I struggled with growing up. This is what I struggled with at your age. This is where I was when I was your age. You know how many times I have to remind myself in the years that I've done youth ministry that I was worse than they are? Sometimes when I get mad at a teenager or upset, I'm like, you were worse, you were worse, you were worse. <laughs> because the grace that was given to me, I want to be able to pass it on to them. But sometimes when they know that, like you, you struggled with cutting yourself too, I did. But God healed me and God brought me from that. And so this is the pain I had, but then this is the hope I received. And so maybe you're going through that pain, but now you can understand that there's hope on the other side of that. There's hope that can bring you through that. And again, we be age appropriate, obviously. There's certain things that they're not gonna fully understand at certain ages, but it doesn't mean we can't reveal truth. How often are you explaining spiritual truths to them? How often are you sitting them down and explaining the role of the Holy Spirit, what sanctification looks like, how your prayer life is supposed to be? Sometimes we look at our kids and we say, well, they don't read their Bible. When was the last time you taught them how? When was the last time you sat with them and, and did a devotional with them and said, hey, I'm gonna teach you how I pray. I'm gonna teach you what it means to spend time with God. 
Judges chapter 2, verse 10 says, After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. There's a whole generation that knew God, and then after that generation died off, there rose up another generation that did not know God or remember the things he did. Why? Because it wasn't passed on. Because nobody passed on the memo. Nobody remembered to tell the next generation. We can't afford to be that way. We can't afford to not pass on truths to the next generation, to not let them know what's going on in our lives spiritually, and to make sure that we make God a priority. Listen, we hide God when we prioritize things above God. When we make it clear to our young people that grades and success in life are more important than when they are spiritually, we have hidden God. And again, I just want to be clear. I'm not trying to throw shade on anybody, but I've heard this excuse a lot of times. When, when your child's punishment because of bad grades is they can't go to church, we're sending the wrong signal. <laughs> Well, you can't go to church now because you got bad grades. That's probably the last thing we should do. And I get it. Special events, maybe that's a, that's a different thing. But even then, what if that's the catalyst that's going to change their perspective? And all of a sudden, because their heart is right and their spirit is right, the grades start coming in. But when we, when we tell them this is what's important, we shift the priority away from God and onto things. When we're willing to drive them to every sporting practice and every recital and every play, but we're too tired to bring them to youth group on a Thursday night or wake up early to bring in a children's ministry on Sunday, we fail to give them God. We've hidden God. When we take most of the summer off of church to go on vacations, we've hidden God. And I got got nothing wrong with a vacation, but a three-month vacation? I want your job. That's a nice vacation. When we fail to set the example in serving the Lord and giving our tithe and doing our daily devotionals, we have hidden God. I'm not saying this to to shame or to embarrass, but we can't reveal truth if truth's not revealed to us. If we don't understand the importance it is, you know, and again, if we can't demonstrate love at home, how will they ever know the love of God? If we can't demonstrate generosity at home, how will they ever understand generosity towards the Lord? It always begins in our homes and in our children. And if we can foster it in our children, if we can raise it up, as Frederick Douglass once said, it is much easier to raise strong men than to fix broken ones. If we can focus in on that, we, have, we will stop hiding the truth from them. And God will no longer be hidden. Maybe God is a mystery to them simply because we've never revealed him to them. And so what's the solution? And I love that the psalmist doesn't leave us hanging. If the problem is we've hidden God, then the solution is you teach them. You then have to teach them. Uh, You teach them God's word. You teach them who God is. And and let me take a moment to remind you, because I don't want to get too far off of this. This message is not for the parents in the room. It's for the adults in the room. It doesn't matter if you don't have biological children. It doesn't matter if your children are all grown up. It doesn't matter if your children aren't in this room. We have a responsibility as a church to foster the next generation, which means every child in this room is our child. Every teenager in this room is our teenager. Every millennial, every Gen Z, every alpha is our generation to look to and to raise up. We have a responsibility to do that, especially when it comes on the spiritual components because not everybody had somebody in their home to do that. 
As a matter of fact, like, just indulge me for a second. Help me out here. And I'm not trying to embarrass you again, but I, I want to be honest with you. Raise your hand if you grew up with either not having your biological or biological father or mother in your home. Just raise your hand. That's a lot of hands. Raise your hand if that's true or if your parents weren't Christians or didn't have a relationship with God or weren't spiritual. Just raise your hands real quick. Okay. Now keep in mind that current statistics say about 40% of every child born in the United States is born without a father. Okay. Think about it this way. Right off the bat, there is nobody to teach a generation who God is. We in our own lives didn't have somebody. And now they don't have somebody. So what does that mean? They need surrogates. They need spiritual mothers and fathers to teach them. They need men and women that they can look up to even if there is no blood relation, there is blood relationship through Jesus and I can look at you and say, that's what a spiritual man of God is supposed to be. That's what a spiritual woman of God is supposed to be. That is a great example because I don't have it at home. Do you realize how many of our teenagers in our youth ministry don't have Christian parents, are the only Christians in their home? Do you realize how complicated it is when they have to lie to their mom and dad and say they're going to a party when in reality they're going to church this is the reality of what we're doing so many of our teens across the country have unbelieving parents and they need somebody to come into their life there is an immense need for spiritual mothers and fathers in the church as far as we know the apostle Paul never had any biological children but he was a spiritual father to many one of those was a young man named Timothy in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 through 9, it says, These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. and press them on your children. Talk, them, uh, talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. What is he saying? He's saying keep it always in front of them. Keep it always in front of them. One thing I love about when I first got here is immediately I had amazing men and women to pour into me. People that weren't my biological moms and dads, but people that I would bring stuff to on Mother's Day and Father's Day because of the fact that they were spiritual leaders. People like Pastor John, who was a youth pastor before me, who for five years took me under his wing and trained me and taught me how to pastor somebody. People like Pastor Carlos, who for the last 18 years has done the same, where every week we've sat down and we walked through things and where I've made sure that my daughters call him Welo and Wella because even though they were never given biological children, they have been spiritual parents to countless people. Listen, you don't have to have your own child to raise one up. And again, I'm not saying you gotta pay the bills. I don't mind if you wanna pay for my daughter's college. I won't stop you. <laughs> but can you be an example to her? Can you be an example of, of a healthy marriage? Can you be an example of a man who honors his wife, of a woman who submits to her husband so that they don't have a warped view of what that looks like? And if I can just maybe tag a little bit deeper when it comes to the men, church, we need men, particularly in the next generation ministries, serving our youth and our children. I love that we have men that are in the parking lot shoveling snow, going nuts for that. I, I commend you, that's amazing. I love that we have men who are holding the doors. I love that we have men that are holding this down. But how beautiful would it be to have a man who could hold a child? Who isn't just security, by the way. No knock on if you're doing security, because we need that as well. But teaching the word of God and showing them this is what it means to serve God. 
because oftentimes we can't emulate what we don't see. One of the things I've noticed just as a pattern over the years with a lot of our teens, when you ask them what you want to do when you grow up, they almost always tell you something they've seen. They don't think beyond what they've seen. So a lot of times they kind of set the bar low because that's all they've ever known. And so that's all they understand. That's all they see. And so when you suggest something maybe a little bit more uh, productive or lucrative or even in line with what they feel like they want to do, it's almost unfathomable because they've never seen anybody have that job. They don't know anybody who does that job. They have no clue what it means to even try to go into that field. Well, I think the same thing happens spiritually. When we want a generation to know God, they need a generation who knows God to show them how to do it. They need somebody to teach them how to pray. They need somebody to teach them what it means to serve. They need somebody to help them be there. When I first got saved, again, I was about 15 years old when I started coming to this church. I would come every Saturday just to be around people here. I would help the the maintenance people put desks together and build closets and paint the walls. I would just sit here and shove. I would just wanted to be here because there were godly people here and I wanted to be around God and I would just pick their brains and why does the Bible say this and how do you approach that and what does this look like and what does that look like? I just wanted to know and thank God that there were men and women who were willing to show me. As a teenager in Excel, my favorite leaders were this group of like 40 and 50 year old women because I was smart. You know, I'm like, man, if I want to figure out how to find a wife, I'm not going to ask this 16-year-old girl. I'm going to go to the ladies, man. They married. They know what's up. And I would sit down with the older women, and I'd glean wisdom. And I'm like, so what is it? Like, what I got to (laughs) do? Listen, we are in need of every one of you. And even if you don't serve specifically in those ministries, just being in this church on a Sunday Lifting up your hands, glorifying God, taking notes physically so they know what it looks like to take notes. All those things serve to teach the next generation. And if we do that, and if we do that well, we will see unbelievable results. Again, if you're taking notes, this is the third thing. The results are this. He says, so that, and then he starts to give you a list of things that'll happen. If we are willing to teach the next generation, if we're willing to pour out to them, there's a number of things that will happen. Number one, they might know God through his word. So that they might know God through his word. Verse six. The Bible, and I say this to our teenagers all the time, it is more accessible today than it's ever been in the history of humanity. There is more ways to receive it. There's more ways to read it, hear it, indulge in it. There's more studies along with it. There's more explanations. You can look up a YouTube video. It'll break everything down. You can get any form of media. It is unbelievably easy to read the Bible. And yet we're seeing one of the most biblically illiterate generations we've ever seen. And I think part of that is not the availability of resources. It's the availability of individuals who are saying, hey, let me show you. I remember when I was a leader in our youth ministry, not even the pastor, I would take some of my students with me when I was uh, taking courses at one of our colleges here, and I would have to do research papers, or I'd have to do homework, and I'd say, hey, I got to go to the library. Do you want to go with me? You'd be amazed. Kids don't care where you take them sometimes. (laughs) I'm like, yo, I got to go to Target, buy some underwear. You want to go? I'll go. (laughs) They just want to get out the house. So I'm like, hey, listen, I got to go to the library, man. I I, got to do some homework. You want to go with me? Yeah. We go to the library. We'd be there three, four hours. I'd sit there with them. I'd say, here's how you read your Bible. Here's how you take notes. Here's how you walk through it. I'm going to let you do it. I'm going to give you an hour. I'm going to go work on my paper. I'll come back and I'll check in on you. 
And I would do that repeatedly. And, and again, it was just, listen, I got, I got a moment to teach you. I got this other stuff to do, that's true. But I got a moment to teach you. Why waste that moment? Come with me and I'll show you how to read the Bible. Come with me, I'll show you how to pray. Come with me, I'll show you what it means to worship the Lord. Come with me, I'll teach you how to be generous. Come with me, I'm willing to take you under my wing and show you what God has shown me. So that they might know God through his word. So that they might trust him. Put their confidence in God, verse seven. There's a whole generation who doesn't trust God simply because they don't know him. So when we tell them, hey, you just gotta believe in God, you just gotta trust God. I don't know who you're talking about because you never told me about your God. You just told me about the God. But I don't know who God is in relation to you. I don't know what God has done in your life. I don't know the magnitude and the impact of God on your life. If you would tell me, then I might know God. And if I know God, then I might trust him. And I can tell you for my family, we're not perfect by any way, shape or form. But one of the, the greatest images burned into my mind is my mother doing her devotions every night on her knees praying for her family. Every night, you could set your watch to it. I would see my mother in her bedroom on her knees praying for her family, praying for friends. The other day she was telling me as she was holding my second child, Olivia, in her hands. I didn't know this, but before we had children, I was the last in our family for my siblings to have any children. My parents weren't sure if we were gonna have children. I've mentioned before there were some complications with my wife and I having children. And my mother says that every day when she would leave the house, she would stop at the, my back door and she would lay hands on the door and she would pray for us to have children. I believe in the power of my mother's prayer because I've heard testimony after testimony of how God answered those prayers. So I need those stories for my own spiritual walk. I need to know what God has done in your life. I need to hear about how amazing this God is because I don't trust him yet, but I trust you. And so if you tell me your story, maybe I'll be able to trust him in my story so that we might know him, so that we might trust him, so that we would obey him, keep his commands. Verse seven, I think we often complain about a disrespectful generation, which I think is ironic considering we raised that generation. I don't know how we can complain about what we've built up. But you want him, you want them to obey God? Show them who God is. You can't just tell, you gotta show. You gotta be able to demonstrate. You gotta be able to eloquently explain. If you want them to be obedient, if you want them, a lot of times I hear parents, my kids just don't listen. There's a solution to that. Teach them who God is. Again, I wasn't perfect, but my parents did a decent enough job of teaching me who God is that they gave me enough fear of God that I wouldn't go overboard. <laughs> I would get close to the line, but I was always scared of God, man. And it was a fear that my parents instilled in me. And, you know, little things, too. Even when I was a little kid, if my mom thought I was lying, she would give me that mom look. And then she would always say the same lie. Liars don't enter the kingdom of heaven. It's like, okay, I ate her fries. Dang. <laughs> and she would say, serious, lo mentiroso no entra al reino del cielo. Okay, mom. But guess what? That stuck with me. You know how hard, it's so hard for me to lie? I just, I, just, I can't, I'm not good at it. That should be a good sign, by the way. But I'm just not good at lying. I don't like secrets. Don't tell me too many of them. Like, I can keep confidence, 
but I just can't lie to people. And so the part of me is just that echoing in the back of my head, like you're going to go to hell because you lied. But thank God that kept me out of a lot of serious situations growing up. Because it wasn't my mom's voice I was hearing, it was the voice of the Holy Spirit that was speaking to me, that was reminding me, and that kept me obeying God, even when I didn't want to. And then, so that they would not become another stubborn and rebellious generation who are not faithful to God. Again, with my two daughters, and those of you who have children, you'll understand this. You had no idea how awful you were until you start seeing it in your kids. There are so many times my wife looks at me, she, like my daughters will do something and my wife will look at me, she's like, I'm so sorry. I'm like, why? She's like, that's how, that's how I act, isn't it? I was like, a thousand percent. She's like, this ain't hard, babe. I've been dealing with this for 10 years. <laughs> Again, you want to see the worst of you? Look at your kids, you'll see it. Because the thing that frustrates you most about your kid is probably something that's in you. My kid's stubborn. El burro hablando de orejas. Right? The donkey complaining about somebody else's ears. <laughs> oh, my, my kid's hard-headed. My kid has anger issues. My kid is a... Have you not seen yourself? Like, do you not recognize that? And, but I love what this says. There are so many of us that struggle with generational curses that we struggle with. Oh, well, that's how my father was and that's how his father was. And we never showed affection in my family because my father never received affection, his family and his father never received affection and their family. Well, why does my child not have to receive affection just because the ones before it did? Couldn't I break that chain because God showed affection to me? Can I then be capable of loving our children because it's not about what they did to me in the past. It's what God's doing to me in the future. You can do this. We, we can help them not become another stubborn and rebellious generation. We can bring forth the generation of revival. We can bring forth the generation that ushers in the presence of God. But only if we expose who God is to them. Only if we're willing to be honest and transparent with what God has done in their lives and in our lives. I'm not saying this is easy to do, but I am saying it is the responsibility of the church to do this. We are not here just to feed ourselves. We're not here just to get a nice little pep talk on a Sunday and then go home and live the rest of our week. Because the next generation, I believe, is not just the generation of children and teenagers. What about the next generation of believers? What about the 50-year-old man who comes in and gives his life to the Lord? That's a new generation of believers. Who's here to teach them? Because if we're waiting for the church to just come up with a bunch of programs to do discipleship, then we've kind of missed the mark. Because yeah, the church, you know, we're going to help, we're going to support, we're going to provide ways to do that. But you are called to make disciples. You are called to sit there in the lunchroom with your coworker that is asking you all these questions about your faith and why you go to church. And if in that moment you tell them, hey, you can receive the Lord right here, right now, and they say that prayer with you, guess what? Your responsibility now. That's not Pastor Carlos, it's not Pastor Joey's or Pastor Tom's. It's your responsibility. You gave birth to that spiritual child. <laughs> Raise him now. <laughs> well, I, I, don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to be a dad either. I figured it out. You think I knew what it, how to give a bottle and how to change a diet? I learned. <laughs> And you will learn when you're handful of all that stuff, you figure it out. But can we learn to start taking this generation of believers under our wings? 
You know, all across the country, churches have dropped in attendance since the pandemic, averaging around 30, 40, 50% of what they used to have. And I think too many people are concerned with people that left and they're not concerned with the ones who are yet to come. Listen, I think God did a great pruning in the last two years. He shook the tree and he showed you who was connected and who wasn't. And if we want people to stay connected to the body, they gotta be connected to you and I. People shouldn't stay in a church just because they like the preacher sermons, just because they like the, the worship music, just because they like the way the building looks. People are here because of us, because we built relationships with them and we've established that core with them and we've raised up spiritual sons and daughters. As I was thinking about all this, I mentioned that on um, Sunday was my birthday. I turned 37 on Sunday. And thank you. Um, And uh, it it felt a lot older when I told the teenagers that. (laughs) I've turned 37. And you know, when when you start to get older, you don't make a big deal out of like your birthday as much. You don't really care. You're just like, dude, can I just get 10 minutes to sit down? Like, that's pretty much all you want. And I mentioned how they threw a party for me and all that stuff. And I'm not huge with gifts. I like them. I'll take them if you want to give me some. Uh, but it's not like it drives me. Because of that, it's really hard for my wife to give me a gift. And I kind of tease her that she's a bad gift giver. She's not a bad gift giver. I'm just bad at telling people what I want because I don't really say it. And so she's trying to figure out what I want. She's like, what do you want? What do you want? I was like, eh, well, whatever. I don't care. Because part of me is like, what I want, I buy. Like, <laughs> I get. And she's like, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? So I, just, I honestly didn't give her a good answer but she gave me what I didn't know I wanted. She gave me this little, little framed picture, literally about this big, about a cube size that I have in my office. And it's similar to a picture she gave me on Father's Day, only it's got a little edit to it. And um, I want you to see this picture for me real quick. I think the guys have it. We'll see, if not, I'll just, I'll just paint it myself. There you go. Uh, That picture is obviously me preaching and my daughters. You know, Excel, can you do me a favor? Can you join me up here real quick while I explain this? My wife gave me this picture and she didn't have to go into detail about what this meant. The eyes on the top is my newborn, Olivia. She'll be six months this month, so she's not that newborn. And the eyes on the bottom are my eldest daughter, Josie. And in the middle is Pastor Joey teaching God's word. And there's a verse that my wife attached to it. Why don't you guys spread across? And the verse comes from Proverbs 22, verse six. Let me just read it to you guys. Keep the picture up. It says, direct your children onto the right path and when they're older, they will not leave it. My wife gave me that picture as a reminder that my daughters are always watching me. My daughters watch me as I give God's word. Literally, every night I preach a youth on YouTube, my daughters watch the sermon. And because they watch me and their mother, they're starting to learn. My wife posted a couple of posts this week about how my oldest daughter pulls her missionary binder out and she opens it up and she tells my wife, pay for missionaries. And then my wife and her pray for missionaries. And sometimes she'll take the binder by herself. She'll open it up. She'll go, amen. 
and she'll go to the next place. Amen. Now, it sounds like gibberish. I really do think it's her prayer language. I think she's already been filled with the Spirit. <laughs> they love the Lord because they know mom and dad love the Lord. Their eyes are always on me and their mother. But I wanted the teenagers to come on, if you can turn the lights on. I wanted this generation to come up here so that you would understand that their eyes, those girls' eyes, are always on me, but their eyes will forever be on you, church. These are the people that are watching you worship, that are watching you serve, that are watching you give, that are watching how you love each other. You want this generation to stay in church? Give them a reason to stay. You want this generation to stay committed to Christ? Show them what commitment to Christ looks like. You want this generation to follow the Lord for their children and their children's children? It starts with us in the room. I wanted you to see them so that you understand that they're always watching you. So here's how we're gonna close. I'm gonna ask you, church, if you would stand for me. And I don't know if Pastor Jason or maybe Ara, if you wanna just slide over. In a moment, we're gonna pray for our generation. We're gonna pray for the future missionaries in this room, the future pastors, the future elders, the deacons, the children's workers, the ushers, the media directors. Because at one point, I was one of these 15-year-olds here at Belmont with no earthly understanding of the plans that God had for my life. But there was a wonderful church that took me under their wings and showed me how to follow God. And it led me to where I believe we are today. So church, I'm gonna ask you to just open up your hands just as a way of receiving and bow your heads. And students, I'm gonna ask you, would you extend your hands, students, leaders, young adults, would you extend your hands to these people in the room? And I'm gonna ask you teenagers, young adults with boldness, would you begin to lift up your voices and would you begin to pray a blessing over our church? Come on, would you begin to lift it up? Would you begin to lift it up? Would you begin to lift it up? Come on, begin to pray over them. Begin to pray over them. These are your moms and dads. These are your aunts and uncles. These are your spiritual mothers and fathers. <coughs> hallelujah, hallelujah. We thank you, Lord. Heavenly Father, we pray a blessing over this church, almighty God. We pray a blessing over every single adult in this room, oh Lord. No matter how long they've been serving you, no matter what their background is, God, Father, we pray a blessing over them right now. And Lord, we ask that they would take on the responsibility, the mantle of being spiritual mothers and fathers, God, not just to their biological children, Father God, but every child in this room, every young adult in this room, every generation that comes after them, God. Lord, I pray that they would see them. I pray that they would follow them. I pray in the same way Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. May we be bold enough to make that statement, to tell a generation, do as I do. Follow me as I follow Jesus. So Lord, I pray, give them boldness, give them strength, give them encouragement, Lord. Give them the right words to speak at the right time. Anoint their speech, almighty God. Give them love that surpasses understanding. Give them peace.
peace that surpasses understanding. Give them an opportunity, oh Lord, an insight to be able to do it, oh God. Father God, I pray against the generational curses that have bound so many people for so many years. We rebuke that in Jesus' name. They are not like their mother and father. They are like their heavenly father. So Lord, we declare that in your name. We bind that in your name. We say, Jesus, let loose your blessing over them. Let loose your anointing over them. Let loose this world, God, that we would rise up, not just this generation, but the generation after them, the children in our children's ministry right now, God, that are learning the word of God from other men and women in our church that are understanding what it means to serve God. Lord, I pray for them, and Lord, I pray for the generation yet to come, oh God. Should you tarry, may we continue to pass on what you have done until your return, oh God. And Lord, in the same way, we pray over this generation on the platform, God. Lord, I pray a special anointing over all of them, almighty God. Lord, they're not the future of the church. They are the church, almighty God. They are just as much a part of this as any of us. So, Lord, I pray, would you pour your hand over them, almighty God? Would you anoint them? Would you call them into your ministry, oh Lord? Would you call them into your purpose and into your plans? Would you send them on the mission field? Would you send them and unleash them on the schools? Would you help them to raise up their own generations? Would you help them to be inspired by your spirit, almighty God? Lord, pour your blessing upon this generation that the enemy is trying so hard to attack that is trying so hard to derail God we pray that you would bind the enemy in Jesus name and that you would let loose this generation in a world that so desperately needs you oh God Father we pray for this church because it's your church God it doesn't belong to any man it doesn't belong to any council it is your church oh Lord so, Father, we ask that your church would be successful in everything you called it to do, God. That we would be fruitful in exactly how you called us to do it. And we pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, come on, would you give God a hand clap of praise?